Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Good afternoon, listeners. This is the DOGS program. The Australian Council for the Defence of Government Schools, we're here to promote and to defend public education. When we talk about public education, we mean genuinely public education, not private education masquerading as something that it's not and never can be. We believe in education which is public in purpose and outcome. Above all, it's publicly accessible, accessible to every child. It should be free, secular and universal for that reason, with no ifs or buts. It should also be publicly owned and controlled, and for that reason it should be the only one that is publicly uh, funded, because it's the only one that can be publicly accountable. And our governments, if they were genuine democratic governments, and a lot of us are starting to wonder about this, they should be providing a first-class public education for every child. Well, we know that this is not the case, but we know that we still have public schools which are the best in the land, and they will be always the best in the land for the very simple reason that private religious schools are parasitic on the mainstream schools, the public schools. Now, we have a press release which we've going to put up on our website, which is at www.adogs.info. That's because it's press release 607. Yes, 607. We've been going for quite a while, the dogs. We started our website in 1998, but the dogs have been going since the 1960s. So here we are in the 21st century and we're still going and we'll be going in the 22nd too because this is a very important issue, public education. So here it is, a roof, an education or neither. The only real way forward for any family in Australia is free public education. Australian parents, especially aspirational parents out there in suburbia, who believe the hype of private schools are caught in an impossible situation. If they can't afford the fees of private schools, who only want those who can pay, pray or perform, they run the risk of losing everything. They need to look carefully at the debt collecting policies of private religious schools before they submit their children to their tender care. Now consider the following case study of Rachel Rodder, which you can find on Mamma Mia's website. It's a very interesting website, Mamma Mia. Uh, I think that Jane Carrow has got something to do with it. She's not too bad. 
on the uh, public school issue. Now, Rachel, Rachel Rodder, was an unfortunate single parent who didn't realise that you can't get any better than public education for your child. She has learnt the hard way that private schools are about fluff and profit without mercy or interest in her particular son and she loved her son greatly and wanted what she believed was the best for him. And they are also parasitic, as we've said before, upon the public system. So uh, she didn't know what a lot of researchers are discovering, that private school students have no academic edge over public school students. If you send your child to a private school, then you're just going to be a lot poorer. So here's the case study. She was a single mother on a low income, but now she's facing bankruptcy at the hands of her son's former private school. She claims the school never requested to see her financial documents, but said that she was honest with them about not being able to pay the fees up front. However, when Ms Rodder later removed her child from the school, Eltham College, that's the school, allegedly sought to bankrupt her, demanding that she pay more than 12,500 in fees. Now, the fees for this school are about 18000 a year, by the way, and it only costs about 15000 a year at the most to give a really good education to a child in Australia. Now, according to the Fairfax Media, the total sum requested by the private school includes unpaid fees as well as an added fine of $6,000 for withdrawing her child from school without sufficient notice. So Rachel Rod is not alone. But how do you like that? The $6,000 for withdrawing her child from school without sufficient notice. So private schools are going to extreme measures to make sure that they get the money in. Now, while there's a debt mediator in all of this, and his name is Ben Paris, and he told Mamma Mia that he'd never heard of this dropout fee before. He said he commonly deals with clients facing bankruptcy because of school fees, but uh, he'd never heard of this dropout rate. So uh, for those of you who live out Eltham Way, be very careful of this college if you want to send your child there. It's like they say, he said, bankruptcy happens really slowly and then it comes all of a sudden. Private schools are bankrupting a lot of parents in order to get the fees in. According to The Age, Eltham College has filed lawsuits against 17 families for unpaid fees. So there's about 17 families out in the east of Sydney with aspirational parents who are worried, I should imagine, about the roof over the children's heads. Aren't they lucky that there are public schools there that they can send their children to anyway? and they should make sure that they stay there. Last year, Channel 7 conducted a similar investigation into New South Wales-based schools and found that there were a number of private institutions legally seeking as little as $6,000 or as much as $28,000 from parents. So as soon as you, you miss out on the fees, parents, you've got problems. In the Rodder's peculiar case, Mr Paris, Ben Paris, said that he couldn't understand the school's motivation. 
Given she's a low-income single parent, Eltham's College's ability to actually get any money seems, you know, odd. Mr Paris trailed off before finishing. Unless she has significant assets, and she might, I don't know, they might spend four grand to get nothing. Well, I hope that Ms Rodder doesn't have any assets or that the child's grandparents don't have any assets. Eltham College would not comment as the matter is subjudice. It's still before the court. That's as good enough a reason as any, I suppose, to get off the hook. But dogs note that Rachel Rodder should argue that if public money is used by Eltham College, it should be open to all without fear of bankruptcy or discrimination. So that's the dog's position. If taxpayer funding goes to any school, then that school should be open to all children without fear, favour or discrimination of any sort, whether it's religious or otherwise. And that, of course, would get us onto the church-state issue. But uh, that is our um, comment for this week. And uh, I've asked Robert to do a few facts and figures, and he tells me that the fees at Eltham College are about $18,000, in direct grants, they um, receive uh, approximately $5,000 per student, which would, given that it's a pretty big school, would really get them up into the millions of millions. Actually, it's $3.2 million per year they receive from the government. That's per year. Wow. Well, uh, that's... Uh, uh, listeners, we as taxpayers are paying for Eltham College. I think that we can say that Ms Rodder uh, should not be... Uh, Uh, treated in this way at all and that this school should be open to all children, Mm. whoever they may be in that area, in that zone. Mm. Jean, I'd just like to add, having done a little bit of forensic accounting um, on Eltham College in this particular issue, because we are dealing with a case study and all I can talk about is um, financial data that's publicly available. Not all of the school's financial data is publicly available. But if you look into it, you can notice some very interesting things. Firstly... Um, that since 2009, from 2009 to 2013, the Eltham College had to service a substantial debt. That substantial debt meant that they had to pay almost $1 million in interest on that debt. Oh, we paid that. Over that time. We paid that. Indeed. Over that time. But I would like to point out in 2013, which is the um, last date that financial data is available, in 2013... Over three, or oh, sorry, over three hundred thousand dollars in interest payment debt was coughed up by the school in one year. Now, if you take it from two thousand nine to two thousand and thirteen, you can see that the interest payments over that period of time would have been around about six hundred thousand dollars. But in one year, in twenty thirteen, they were actually forking out in interest payments alone three hundred and twenty thousand dollars. What that means is, of course it is, but what I'm saying is that the school itself, the school itself has financial issues because their interest payments are accelerating. Now, that was in 2013. It's now 2015. It'd be very interesting to see if one of the reasons that Eltham College is going after its parents and attempting to bankrupt them, and that's not say, that's just before the courts, is that the school itself has financial issues such that it needs to recoup as much money as possible because it itself, as a company, 
as a financial institution is having significant issues servicing the debt that it has to provide the services. Now, I'm sitting here talking about financial issues. I'm not talking about educational issues. Why is it? We always Why is get it back to this. That people, you know, people, when they talk about private schools, they always talk about values and all that sort of stuff, whereas, in fact, these are just businesses. Yes. These are just highly, in, in many cases, highly leveraged, highly debt-laden businesses that are trying to stay afloat, and they have their customers or consumers, which are the parents and the kids, and they have to get the money out of them, Either they, otherwise they, as businesses, will go bankrupt. And these businesses get money from nothing from Eugene and from me. They get it from the taxpayers. I just don't think that's an effective and efficient way certainly not an accountable way of running an education system. Well, the, free no- market, the free market has no place in education and the government has no business servicing the, the ever-increasing debt of a school like Eltham College. They don't even profess to be Christian or anything like that, do they? At least we don't have to put up with that oh, kind of hypocrisy, do we? Actually, in terms of Eltham College, I, I don't think it's relevant. I'm just looking at the numbers here, Jane. Yeah. I'm just yeah. looking at the numbers and they are spending 20% of their entire capital expenditure... In 2013, 20% of their entire capital expenditure in 2013 at Adelton College was spent paying interest on debt. Hmm. I mean, that's got nothing to do with it. I mean, they probably built themselves some beautiful facilities. Mm. In fact, I happen to know that they have built themselves some beautiful facilities. And the whole thing is, you know, so the, the, the beautiful facilities make it attractive to an apparent parent like you're talking about. I will Aspirant. note, an aspir- aspirational parent like the one you were talking about, Jim, I will have, you know, and I actually found it quite sad and probably quite offensive that this particular parent stated, and I, I'm not sure if this is all she said, so I don't want to misquote this individual parent, but she said that she really couldn't send her child to their local state school because that would have given her child a second-rate start in life. Well, she's, and, she knows better and, now. Well, I, th- I think that I might hope. be the case. And I'm sure, I'm, I certainly hope that she doesn't believe that because state schools, I mean, think about what that means. Mm. She, wants, she wants an advantage for her child. She's quite happy for other children to go to what she would consider second-rate. Second-rate start in life, my goodness. I mean, it gets back to the whole idea of state schools are great schools if they have enough money. I mean, <laughs> she's making the assumption that a state school is, is not acceptable for her child without actually having sent her child there. Now, I don't know. Actually, I do know what the local state school is. It's, it's actually quite a good one. Really good teachers, really good principal, really good people, really good kids getting a good education. And the value judgments that she's made, and I, I just, you know. Sad. It's, it's actually quite sad. I'm wrong. In, in, in many ways, it's offensive. I mean, what, what she's saying is actually quite offensive, but I think it's more sad than offensive. Because I think it's offensive from the point of view that there is all of this um, hype around the private schools. That with our money, with taxpayers' money, they engage in this advertisement campaign, constant. But the researchers are actually now telling these poor parents that there are grave doubts cast on the value of private schooling. And even the age, the Fairfax Press, uh, not the uh, Murdoch Press, but the Fairfax Press and certainly the alternative media are prepared to let this information come out there. And it was sad that she didn't get to it before she believed all the hype of Eltham College. Um, And uh, there's a very interesting article here in The Age and I think that um, 
there is there has been a big issue, and the private schools have been trying to fight back on this issue. And Ray, Robert will talk about it uh, in the next few minutes. But I'd just like to refer our listeners to this article in the Age of July the fourteenth, page three, news, by Tim Najax, Mark Moncrief, and Henrietta Cook. Are private schools for primary school kids a waste of money? They ask. Yes. More parents than ever we're told, are sending their children to private schools, but a Fairfax media analysis of the MySchool website shows primary-age students in private schools are performing only slightly better, if at all, than students in public schools. The gap widened significantly in, in secondary school, or appeared to, but the findings, their findings are based on the 2014 NAPLAN results, which covers numeracy and literacy. Uh, several studies, other studies, both Australian and international, tackling the age-old private versus public debate, have actually found no difference in the results of students from government. And here you are, the Catholic and the independent schools, once social disadvantage was taken into account, don't do any better at all. And this is despite Extraordinary fee rises in the last few years of between 3 and 5% at elite private schools, outstripping the past year's 2.3% increase in the Consumer Price Index. The Fairfax analysis showed that there are pronounced gaps in NAPLAN performance between the state and private sectors once the students were tested in secondary school, but even this is being questioned now. Now... A professor at Melbourne University, Gary Marks, conducted research showing students at private schools generally outperform better than their peers in the public sector in Year 12, but he said that private schools tended to pour more resources into the later school years, and that could explain why the academic gaps were more significant in secondary school. But there's even a question about this, once they get to university, certainly. Um, Now... Michelle Green from Independent Schools Victoria, of course, um, started, she didn't like any of this. She said that you shouldn't compare it on NAPLAN data alone. Oh! Um, oh. Yes, we're we're laughing here because uh, when it suits them, that's what the private schools use. And when it doesn't suit them, they, 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 they come back with that. However, we're told about a very particular... Uh, primary school that's done exceptionally well, and that's the Dandenong North Primary School. And it's one of many state primary schools which outperform some private schools in NAPLAN tests despite scoring well below the average on a community-applied measure of social advantage for schools. 85% of the school's students in this school are from non-English-speaking backgrounds, and many of them are refugee children who have been badly traumatised. Yet the grade three students at the school achieved an average score of 473 on the NAPLAN spelling test, well over the statewide average of 418. So uh, the principal of this school, Kevin McKay, said that some families had moved from interstate so that their children could benefit from the school's successful English as a second language program. And the secret to the school's success was investing in teachers. Investing in teachers, not fancy buildings. So they became experts at working with students from disadvantaged backgrounds. 
So there you are. There's uh, even a parent here, Shahida Dusidadar, who arrived from Afghanistan with her two children in 2008, said her sons at Dandenong North Primary School were blitzing their tests despite starting school in Australia with absolutely no English. They get A and A plus and they read lots of books in English and do at least one hour of homework at night. The school has made it easy for them to understand and to enjoy their studies, she said. So that's a lovely story, isn't it, about Yes, Dandenong. it is, Jane. You're and listening to The Dogs Program here on 3CR 855 on the AM dial. We'll return with some more interesting news about what's going on in educational issues from the dog's perspective, that is, universal education that is free and secular is what we're after, not necessarily um, paid for and religious. Um, we'll be returning to uh, more educational issues after, I think, some Bachs today. Yes, just so we can uh, point out to people that we're not necessarily against um, religious beliefs as such, especially if you're dealing with a great musician on a schnitger organ. Some lovely organ music. Some Bach. What was it, Jane? Ein Wasserflüsskind? Ein Wasserflüssen Babylon. Oh, okay. By, By the waters, waters of Babylon. Babylon. Thank we you, sat down and wept. 
but uh, they were happy afterwards. Was that was that JS or JC or CPE? Which 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 which, which bark was that? Oh, you're showing off. No, I just want to know. Sebastian. Oh, Joanne and Sebastian. Oh, oh, thank you very much, Jean. No, Jean's Jean's choosing the music today, and I, I'm actually very grateful. That that was lovely. Thank you. Um, back to the serious business of what, what on earth's going on in education in Australia. We've been discussing um, at some length. Um, a particular case study that Jean, I think, was quite right to highlight of a, about a woman who was um, being taken to court in bankruptcy proceedings by the school that she chose to send her child to. No uh, public school would do that. Of course not. Of course not. Because public schools have values, proper values, values of inclusivity, values of equity, values of equality. The child can And do you know what? It's, it's actually not, it's not for a state school to do that. A state school would be horrified at the prospect, I would have to say. But private schools seem quite happy to do that. Um, and we were talking in sort of about this individual woman. And as I say, we don't like to pick on people unless they're in the public sphere. And every now and then, if you're a regular listener, you'll know I'll go off about Christopher Pine. But a private citizen, I don't think, needs... Needs, needs to have our vitriol. However, I think she might have been influenced, this particular parent, who thought that sending her child to a state school would give them a second-rate education, which, of course, is false. Um, but she might have been influenced by a lot of the marketing that's going around. The marketing is, and has because... Well, the marketing exists because private schools exist in a marketplace, and they compete with each other and, indeed, state schools. And as Jean often says, private schools are functionally and fundamentally parasitic on the state school system, uh, the marketing is now extending into some very, I think, quite icky places. I'd like to refer you to an article, a very interesting article, by Henrietta Cook, who is a new education reporter at The Age here in Melbourne. She wrote an interesting article. She did a bit of an in-depth analysis of what's going on because private schools are descending on childcare centres now to recruit their next crop of students, some of whom are still actually not walking yet. Their businesses. Now, as the competition for students becomes fierce, competition, you see, becomes fierce, schools are advertising on childcare notice boards and even handing out show bags. And this is all we've got to sell now to Asia. The learning... TPPs. Indeed. The Learning Sanctuary Childcare Centres in Glen Iris and Ashwood hold an annual schools expo night where local government and non-government schools set up displays to woo hundreds of prospective parents. The centre director, Mel Ciolek, said some parents were thinking about schools when their children were still babies. And to quote Mel, she says, In this area, you have to start thinking early. There's a lot of demand and some of the private schools are having a waiting list, she says. Now, Caulfield Grammar is among the many schools that have taken part in this expo, which is now in its third year. She said last year, one school handed out show bags with colouring books and pencils. More than 100 Victorian non-government schools offer early learning centre places and the number is growing. Now, Associate Professor Kay Margetts from the University of Melbourne's Graduate School of Education said schools were focusing on preschool children to boost their enrolments in a competitive environment. She says, I see many of the schools advertising in childcare centres in their catchment areas. It's actually all about marketing, she says. Dr Margetts said schools were also setting up early childhood centres to ease the transition into primary schools. And it's actually not apparently just elite private schools. I mean, there is one state school in the Doveton area, such as Doveton College. Um, They've also set up an early childhood learning centre, and that was to ensure, of course, in Doveton, the social literacy and numeracy levels were up to scratch. But independent schools chief executive Michelle Green said parents were looking for consistency in their child's education and convenience. 
Man, this is this this is someone who runs an education office. She's utopia on the ABC's utopia. They should indeed. She says, and I quote: "They don't want to change schools as children get older, and there are simple issues like having single drop-off points for parents and more than one child." Blah blah blah. The head of Wesley College's Elstermit campus, Jacinta Janssens, says the school's early childhood learning centre helped familiarise the children with the school. She says, and I quote, they have their own playground, their own space, but they can see what lies ahead. They get excited. It develops in them a confidence for the first two years of school. Uh, uh, well, this is also going on at Wesley. In fact, Bowie Isaacs started at Wesley when she was three. She remained at school until she was 18, moving from its early childhood learning centre to its primary and then, of course, senior and VCE campus. And did the, and Actually, she didn't. She did the international baccalaureate. And she thought that was absolutely wonderful. It's their marketing to babies. <laughs> marketing to the parents of babies, I'm sure. Because they're feeding upon the insecurity of the aspirational. Because in a marketplace, you have to create a need. You have to create a market. And the market is the fear that private school promoters have tried to promote in parents to say that, I don't like using this phrase, but to imply that state schools are a second class education, which of course is false, and I can prove it, which I will do after these messages. One less loved one at Christmas One less loved one on birthdays A year after the death in custody of 22-year-old Yamaji woman Jalika Du, following her arrest for non-payment of fines of around $1,000, deaths in custody continue. Rally with the Indigenous Social Justice Association of Melbourne to a demand an immediate end to the ongoing deaths in custody. Full implementations of recommendations 87, 92, 102 and all the recommendations from the Royal Commission into Aboriginal Deaths in Custody. Justice for Ms Do and all who have died in custody. Implement measures to give the community control over the police. Build communities, not prisons. Join us on Saturday the 8th of August 2015 at 11am at the old GPO corner of Burke and Elizabeth Streets, Melbourne. For more information, call ISJA Melbourne on 93880062. Gonna rise up to break these chains and stop these killing games. Welcome back to the Dogs Programme. That's Defence of Government Schools here on 3CR 855 on the AM dial and indeed podcast. It's good to have your company again. Um, before that little break, I was going to promise—I was going to promise to tell you exactly why it is that state schools are great schools. Um, state schools are great schools for lots of reasons, but one of them is actually quite fundamental, and I think it's best summed up by Tony Jansen when he did an article called "Education and Gratitude" in the Online Opinion, which is Australia's e-journal for social and political debate. Now, Tony Janssen said, and I think this is interesting, and it's something we don't speak directly to, but I think he sums it up. Um, he says that the daft and radical idea of changing high, charging high-income parents for public schooling, included in a secret draft of a Federation Green paper, was canvassed by one ABC reporter just recently as an attack on the culture of entitlement. But it might be the opposite, he says. Many members of his extended family are teachers, and among them, um, her husband's mother. Margaret taught maths at the Adelaide Girls' School. She used to pile up gifts of perfume and soap in her bedroom wardrobe. While education is a right, to her students it was also a gift. Margaret received something other than soap in return, the opportunity to teach emerging adults. 
the respect and appreciation was mutual between her and her students. Mm. Now, entitlement creates neither gratitude nor engagement. This is a key finding of Dr. Kerry Howells, a teacher educator at the University of Tasmania. She found that the more students were aware of the money they or their parents paid for education, be it school fees or higher education contributions, the less grateful they felt. The less grateful they felt, the less present and engaged they became. Compliance set in and clouded students' ability to, pr- to be present in their learning. Howell found that teachers had been feeling less appreciated over time as education had become more commodified. They were seen, as I, and I quote, seen as someone employed by the parents rather than someone who was giving something precious. They described being seen as someone who delivered a product caught in the grip of an exchange paradigm rather than a person giving of themselves. One of the most famous studies in behavioural economics finds that late fees imposed to encourage parents to pick up their children from childcare centres actually have the opposite effect. Before fines were introduced in the childcare centres studies, children were picked up late about eight times per week per centre. Afterwards, late fees were, were, were instituted. This jumped to 20 times per week. Parents felt entitled rather than engaged. That is, I'll pick them up late, I'll pay the fine, oh well, there's no, there's no contract, there's no social contract, there's just a financial contract. Now, fees turn students into clients. Instead of considering how they should live, students who know they are paying fees are more likely to look for instructions on how to make a living. As soon as the recommendation in the Tony Abbott's draft green paper came to light, he shot it down, of course, owing it would have been a political suicide to keep it up. But some level of his government must have been thinking about it. If he was serious about better using public funds, he would stop using them to boost private schools Mm. and concentrate on public ones. In any event, it isn't right to describe public schools as free. We actually pay for them through taxes, says Tony Hanson. Some parents choose to pay more by going private and others who can afford it give more so through the public system voluntarily. And they contribute in other ways other than financial. Parents give their time, volunteering in canteens, at fundraisers, in in in-class helpers and so on. Many families in her part of Canberra, choose to work part-time in order to help their local school and to be available in those precious hours before and after school. They understand that they are part of a social project involving parents, teachers and children. They understand that it takes a village to raise a child. Students whose parents take part in their schooling in partnership with teachers record better outcomes. They have better attitudes, are more likely to take on more challenging tasks, and are more likely to do well at them. Their parents are also more likely to defend and lobby for public schools. If compulsory fees set high-income parents away to private schools, public schools would have even fewer defenders. Public schools would concentrate on serving poor people with little lobbying power. Private schools would concentrate on the rich, which would lobby for the schools to become richer still. Communities would further fragment and perhaps become less soulful, says Tony. (laughs) To paraphrase the former Archbishop of Canterbury, Rowan Williams, education is more than discipline and ticking off competencies. It is in the business of creating people who can participate in an inclusive society regardless of their means, citizens who are much more than individual cogs in an economic system. 
And that was an article, an interesting article, I think, published in the Canberra Times. Um, that one, of course, was taken from the Online Opinion, online journal, posted on Monday the 6th of July by Tony Hansen. Now, I think, I mean, she's talking about what will happen. I'm, I think she's missed the boat there, Tony. It's what's happening right now. We have an apartheid education system. She's not talking about something in the future. She's talking about the actual educational realities here in Australia at this very moment. You are listening to the Dogs Program here on 3CR 855 on the AM dial. We'll be returning with more news, views and interesting, interesting facts and data that relate to education in Australia after these messages. Now listen, the annual Green Left Weekly comedy debate is back again for 2015. Two crack teams will debate the proposition that Tony Abbott is the root of all evil. Featuring Kirsty Mack, LEMC, the Minister for Un-Australian Affairs, Morveen Smith, Evan Thompson and Simon Crick, it's a titanic struggle for global comic debating supremacy. Refereed by me, uh, Rod Quantock, I remembered. Friday, 24th of July at the Brunswick Town Hall, dinner and bar from 6.30, comedy at 8pm. For bookings, phone 96398622. I'll read that again, but backwards. 22689369. Supporting the radical news source, Green Left Weekly. It's the best comedy debate in the world. See you there. I mentioned a bit earlier Jane Carrow, uh, who uh, contributes to Mamma Mia, and she has a very interesting article which people might wish to read on why public funding of private schools hurts us all. I found this a very interesting one because she said that she often mused over the parallels between the way we see public schools in Australia and the way we see women. She says we pay women less but expect them to do more. Public schools are chronically underfunded yet teach the vast majority of children. The poorest, the disabled, the indigenous, rural, remote, refugees, new migrants and the behaviourally and emotionally disturbed as long as well as all of the others. And we congratulate fathers for doing absolutely nothing, anything for their children, sorry, but blame mothers if they neglect the smallest thing. This always reminds Jane Carrow of how we go into paroxysms of admiration when fee-charging schools offer a scholarship to a couple of poor children compared to how we routinely sneer at public schools for struggling with the thousands left behind. If a scandal hits a private school and she says that she won't, she promises she won't mention knocks. It is seen as reflecting only on that individual school, but when a scandal hits a public school, it's seen as reflecting on all. When a woman fails, it's seen as reflecting on all women. When a man fails, it's because he and he alone wasn't up to it. So I found that all very interesting. But uh, she also refers to, uh, is it is it worth sending your kids to a private school? And she gives the answer, it's not. They're no better. They're just more expensive. And she also talks about what's been happening in Chile, uh, where public funding of private schools was established under the dictatorship of Augusto Pinochet. Listeners, private schools are very much on the up and up when you have authoritarian let's call them fascist governments. And Pinochet was particularly nasty, coming after Allende, who they killed. It's resulted in Chile in one of the most socio-economically segregated education systems in the world. And that's what we're in danger of doing in Australia. 
Mind you, we're not far behind. In 2010, OECD figures showed that Australia was the third lowest funder of public schools amongst the developed countries. So it's amazing. It's amazing that Australia's done as well as it has. If Chile substantially changes the way it funds, then we can expect to go up in that ranking because Chile is doing away with public funding of private schools. Uh, Why has Chile decided that the public funding of private schools is a bad idea and needs to be changed? Uh, Caro points out that the public subsidy of private supply is always inflationary, and that's because the market will charge what the market will bear. So unless you cap the fees the private supplier can charge, they will simply charge what consumers are prepared to pay and add it to the subsidy. And that's our subsidy. That's what we pay. So uh, Jane Caro will arrive at the dog's position. She might even realise that even the Gonski position isn't much good. But the other thing that I wanted to refer to was uh, from the New South Wales Teachers Federation because this article, this message from their uh, head, their president, Maureen Mulherin, shows you what kind of people we are actually dealing with in Canberra. It deals with the Australian Institute for Teaching and School Leadership, which Mori points out is becoming largely irrelevant. It was established in 2010 after failed attempts to develop a national body capable of engaging the profession of teaching in the work of creating national teaching standards. And from the beginning, it was overseen and it was managed by a representative board. But in the space of three to four years, it was able to develop national standards with massive buy-in from the profession, the school systems and the state jurisdictions. But it's no longer like this. Why? Pine has used his role as the sole member of the company. So he's the sole member of the company to sack the representative board and stacked the new board with political allies, private school lobbyists, education crackpots and bureaucratic has-beens. Sound familiar? This is what he did with the curriculum board, wasn't it? The only member who's representing public education is the New South Wales Department of Education Secretary, Dr Michelle Brunigas, who must be asking what on earth she has done in a previous life to deserve such an appointment. Now, the Australian Education Union, which represents 189,000 teachers throughout Australia and educational professionals from this new board, means that teachers and principals are no longer represented on it. The profession has been deliberately disenfranchised. But who's on it? Who's on it? Uh, Very interesting, indeed. Uh, Pine has appointed an academic from the Australian Catholic University as the board member responsible for initial teacher education. This must surely be a conflict of interest, given that the ACU has the lowest entry scores for teaching courses and the board, the AITSL board, is moving to assess teacher training courses in all Australian universities. 
Now, it's a moot point as to whether the federal minister has been influenced by neoliberal management theories, which have become the orthodoxy in so many university business schools that contend that the composition of boards should be made up of experts rather than representatives. If this were the case, the new board fails even on the expert criterion, doesn't it? With Dr Brunesias being the one exception. AITSL has now had its links to actual schooling systems, with perhaps the exception of the Catholic education system and the organised teaching profession seriously weakened. So this harks back to the earlier days of Howard, when the highly politicised predecessor, Teaching Australia, produced nothing of any substance and was largely ignored by the teaching profession. And of course, this is what Pine did too when he appointed Kevin Donnelly and Ken Wilshire to the head of the National Review into Curriculum. When the choice of Donnelly was lampooned and criticised across the country and throughout the profession, we covered it here on the Dogs Program. In the end, because of Pine's overreach, the resulting curriculum review was largely ignored by teachers. And during the review, Ken Wilshere sought to distance himself because all an academic has got to sell in the end, let's face it, is his reputation. And what happened to the curriculum review? Well, the teachers ignored that one too. It's very interesting how professions in the end are able to just quietly do their own thing in their own classrooms. And there's wonderful teachers in our public system who know what good teaching is, who regard themselves as the servants of the children, not the parents who regard themselves as doing something which is really worthwhile, which is making uh, our democracy strong by bringing their children up the right way with community values. These people are quietly working in our public schools and are doing a wonderful job. But um, that's enough for me for the moment. Back to Robert, who'd like to, I think... No, um, I'm, I'm champing at the bit here, Jean, because I've got some interesting figures. And um, Trevor Cobold from Save Our Schools um, uh, is furious. <laughs> he's furious. Yeah. And I like it when he gets furious. Yes, yeah, so do I. Yeah, so he's, 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 he's a very, very, very solid man because someone, in fact, the National Catholic Education Commission, has questioned his ability to read the figures. Oh, you he's just, an honest I, man. He's, he's an, an honest, honest man. man. <laughs> he's definitely an honest man. He doesn't like his honesty called into question. Absolutely not. Uh, we'll be dealing with that very interesting response from Trevor Cobold to the uh, National Catholic Education um, Commission uh, just after these messages. This is the The 5th Annual Melbourne Anarchist Book Fair will bring together an exciting range of independent booksellers, zinesters and activist groups. The book fair showcases more than 40 stalls and a program of workshops. Come along to celebrate books, pamphlets and zines, including radical fiction, the anarchist classics and cutting-edge radical writers from around the world. It's a great opportunity to be introduced to new ideas, to challenge your thinking and to network with like-minded folks. It's free, and we also provide free childcare. It's all happening at the Abbotsford Convent on Saturday, August 8th, from 10am till 6pm, and with an after-party in a squatted space late into the night. Find out more at 
www.amelbournebookfair.org or find us on Facebook. The Melbourne Anarchist Book Fair, because another world is possible. The Anarchist Book Fair is a 3CR supporter. Cult. Nothing but a death cult. Islamist death cult. The Islamist death cult. Have a look cult. at Islam in death Australia. Death cult. All these mosques the being built. This All is the halal a funds. death cult. To use this All term the money is to they make. a death cult. These are the two enemies we're fighting. The communist left and Islam. Because the two are hand in hand. You mean Abbott and Reclaim Australia's anti-Muslim racism go hand in hand? Yeah, and do you know that Reclaim Australia and the United Patriots Front are organising an anti-Muslim rally on Saturday the 18th of July at Parliament House, Melbourne. That's why the campaign against racism and fascism is organising a counter-rally. We're meeting at Parliament House at 10 o'clock so we can get there first, take the steps first and show them that their anti-Muslim hate speech is not welcome in Melbourne or anywhere around Australia, not now, not ever. If you want updates on the campaign, text subscribe to 0422-726-843 to join the updates list. The Campaign Against Racism and Fascism is a 3CR supporter. Yes, Trevor Cobold is angry in print and I think it's worth sharing with you because he's a, he's a wonderful fellow and a staunch supporter of state schools. His position is not that of the dogs. Um, he doesn't think that it's a bad thing to give money to sectarian, sectarian institutions that are exempt from the anti-discrimination laws of this country. He'll he, get to our position. But I, 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 he's definitely he's getting there. He's, he's getting, getting there. there. He's getting there. Um, and he actually put out a very interesting uh, study paper, a very interesting study paper that said the government funding for private schools fell by more than $200 per student from 2000, or 2009 to 2013. And this is in real terms, while there was an increase over the same time of $500 per student in the independent school sector. Now, uh, the figures, based on an updated data from the Australian Curriculum and Assessment Reporting Authority and adjusted for inflation, for inflation, show total government funding at the Australian public schools fell by $224 per student between 2009 and 2013. Government funding for Catholic schools increased by $716 per student and by $574 per independent school student. Now, this, this comes from data which has been put together by the Save Our Schools lobby group. Um, and that, of course, is Trevor Cobalt, who is their convener. And he said the figures show why both sides of politics should commit to funding the full six years of Gonski, where the biggest spending increases were scheduled in years five and six. Well, when Trevor Cobalt gets out and says something, it's usually worth listening to, and the Age and the Fairfax Press seem to use him as a go-to guy when it comes to these issues. But, yes, in response... The National Catholic Education Commission on the 5th of July, according to Trevor Cobalt in his press release of that date, grossly mi- misrepresents the facts on the funding of public schools in their response to what he said. He says, It has done this to throw up a smokescreen over government funding trends that have favoured Catholic and independent schools since 2009. Oh, they're good on smoke screens. Oh, yes. They've the cl- always been good on yes. smoke screens. The claims made by the NCEC, which is the National Catholic Education Commission, 
are highly misleading and based on selective figures, says Trevor Cabold. They ignore the huge load of disadvantage carried by public schools. They are designed to divert attention from the impact of discriminatory government funding policies that favour private schools over public schools. So he's stating it as it is. People say, oh, we don't want to talk about that division anymore. Well, if you don't want to talk about it, make sure it's not there. If it's there, it's got to be spoken about. You can't just ignore it. Now, back to Trevor Cabold, and I, I, I love the way he writes sometimes. This is again from his press release on Sunday, July the 5th. Um, he says, the National Catholic Education Commission claims that he and the Save Our Schools have manipulated the data, and he says, this is totally incorrect. That's about as definite as you get, Trevor. The SOS figures are drawn from official figures published by the Australian Curriculum Assessment and Reporting Authority. They have been adjusted for inflation using conventional procedures based on the wage price index for private and public education and training. They show that the government funding of Catholic and independent schools has increased by 8% per student between 2009 and 2013 compared to a cut in funding for public schools of 1.9%. He says, instead of using the ACARA's figures, the National Catholic Education Commission have chosen to use unsourced figures to claim the government funding to public schools has increased. Well, are these figures their own, I wonder? Oh, I think they must be making them up. They they must know something we don't. Well, perhaps there should be a proper accountability of of their actual funding and what goes on in these Catholic education offices. Perhaps we should have a look at what's happening with our taxpayer dollars. I think we should. I think the the Victorian Auditor General's office is on that case at the moment. I'll be very interested to see what they come up with. Well, what about the national one? Well... Trevor Cobalt, he's got a list. He's got a list. A little list. A little list that says the National Catholic Education Office figures are misleading in several ways. Firstly, he says, they show government funding only for two years in contrast to the four years that Trevor was looking at. Secondly, the Catholic Education Office's figures are contradicted by the report of government services, which shows the total government funding for public schools um, increased by a very small amount. Thirdly, he says... The Catholic Education Office figures are not adjusted for inflation. Fourthly, he says, Catholic Education figures are for total funding and do not allow for increasing student numbers. He mentions, and I think this is interesting, public school enrolments increased by nearly 34,000 students in the one year considered by the NCEC, that is the Catholic Education Office. The ACARA figures show the total government funding in current dollars increased by only 1.4% per student in 2013 or 2012-13. Adjusted for inflation, this represents a fall of 1.5% per student. So all of these statements that parents are wanting to send their children to private schools is actually quite questionable. Mm, there's a think, lot, there's think, well, been a, a, a lot more going into public schools lately. I think the sort of panicked and strident marketing that we're seeing by various private schools mm. is actually a reflection of the fact that their enrolments aren't necessarily increasing. And if you're in a debt-laden, independent school that depends upon ever-increasing enrolments and you're not getting them... You're in the arms race or the resources race, yeah. It all becomes a marketing war, which is not the right thing and not the best way of spending education dollars when it comes to educating kids. Well, there might be some more failing independent so-called schools. Well, I think that's likely in the near future. Acacia College isn't the only one. Oh, there's been several, and, I, and there might indeed be several more. Well, that's why Doyle, the Auditor-General, is a bit concerned about it, I think. Mm. Well, Trevor Cable's particularly annoyed because he says the Catholic Education Office has claimed that Save Our Schools has manipulated the figures. Ah, uh, the pot calling the kettle black. 
in comparing the total income for public and private schools by using gross recurrent income instead of net recurrent income. While there are legitimate reasons to use gross recurrent income figure, in the case of the Catholic and public school comparison, it makes little difference whether it's gross or net. Spokescreen. Um, Nevertheless, says Trevor, the trend in net recurrent income is clear. The income of Catholic schools has increased by much more than public schools since 2009, and certainly in Victoria since, um, what's his name, Mr Andrews, our our absent Premier, decided to just give them money for no apparent reason. Mr Merlino too. Um, Reflecting the large increase in government funding to Catholic schools and a cut to the funding in private schools. The disparity between the changes in net recurrent income for Catholic and public schools was actually greater than the disparity shown by the gross income figures, he says, because between 2009 and 2013, gross income per student in public schools adjusted for inflation fell by 2%, compared to an increase in Catholic schools of 8%, rise that is. Um, he goes on to say, and he says, and this, this, is, this is Trevor being very strident, he says, the any well, the Catholic Education Office says the funding increases for Catholic schools reflect their needs and cites increases in students with disabilities and Indigenous students. Now, let it be clear, says Trevor, SRS fully supports funding increases to such students, whether it's in public or private schools. What we object to, he says, is the discriminatory approach taken by governments whereby the sectors with a small minority of disadvantaged students, that is the Catholic and independent sectors, receive significant increases in funding, while funding for the sector with the large majority of disadvantaged students has been cut. Enrolment of students with disabilities increased significantly in all sectors between 2009 and 2013, but it was only in the public sector funding that was cut. He says, we also at SOS object to governments providing funding increases for elite private schools that have none or very few disadvantaged students, while public schools have their funding cut. And finally, says Trevor, SRS welcomes the statements by the Catholic Education Office that government funding for schools should be based on need, he says. Hmm, well, I'm not sure we agree on that of the dogs, but let's go with what Trevor says. SOS would be pleased to work with the Catholic Education Office to ensure that future funding increases are directed at reducing the impact of disadvantage in education in both public and private sectors, and this can be best done by endorsing and working to improve the Gonski funding plan. The Catholic Education Office should be supporting concerted action to force the Abbott government and Bill Shorten to commit to continuing and expanding support for disadvantaged students irrespective of sector, not engaging in ham-fisted manipulations of real funding figures, says Trevor Cabold. Yeah, the only interest the Catholic Education Office ever had in disadvantaged students was to get money through the needs policy and to open, to prize open the public treasury in the 1960s. The myth of the poor parish school is running very, very, very... Well summed up, Jane. Well, well summed up. You've been listening to the Dogs Program here on 3CR 855 on the AM dial. We've come to the end of our program again for this week. Um, we hope you have listened to us and we've been informative and we hope that if you have any feedback, you can have a look at what we're on about at our website, which is at www.adogs.info. That's www.adogs.info. But until next week, when I'm sure there'll be many more issues for us to discuss, um, It's bye for now. Bye. I dream 
saw Joey last night Alive as you and me Says I, but Joe, you're ten years dead I never died, says he I never died, says he In Salt Lake City, Joe says I I'm standing by my bed They framed you on a murder charge Says Joe, but I ain't dead Says Joe, but I ain't dead The copper bosses killed you, Joe They shot you, Joe, says I Takes more than guns to kill a man, says Joe, I didn't die, says Joe, I didn't die. And standing there as big as life, and smiling with his eyes, says Joe, what they can never kill. Went on to organize, went on to organize. From San Diego up to Maine, in every mine and mill, where workers strike and organize, it's there you find your